What a great place to spend the first morning of a, of a new year. Uh, it's just a great place. It's, it's kind of an interesting deal this weekend. That last night we did the last service of 2011, and then this morning you wake up and you do a new service for a, a new year in the first service. And so it's great to have you here this weekend. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for these that have just assembled together to give their first morning to you on a new year. So we thank you for your provisions for 2011. And Father, we look forward to see what you're going to do in 2012 uh, in our lives individually and then our lives corporately as, as a body as we continue to trust you. And so, Father, we just ask that you would just use your word and, and speak into our lives this morning. And may we just grow deeper in you as we commit to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May Go ahead and be seated. Hey, just want to let you know, uh, new service coming up February the 5th, Sunday, 1230. We're just hoping some of you are like praying about that and see if that's a service that you'd like to take part in. Uh, so it's on Super Bowl Sunday, so it's easy for us to remember. And so some of you could flip your, 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 your Sunday morning deal and go to church and then lunch. And uh, so anyway, if you would pray about that, that would, that would be great. Well, I tell you, it's been an interesting weekend as we've looked at, you know, last night was like our last service of, of 2011, and it was kind of like a reflective time that we look back over the year. And, and then this morning you, you wake up and you're, you're doing a service now, um, looking to the future and looking to 2012. And, and I don't know if you do New Year's resolutions. I have a lot of friends that, that do those. I, I tell you what, I got so tired over the years of, of doing New Year's resolutions, and then by February or March, you've either broken them all or you forgot about them. So I just kind of lowered the bar. So you know what my New Year's resolution is this year? Uh, I'm going to lose more hair in 2012. <laughs> you know what? I just have New Year's resolutions that I can keep. I have a, I have a good friend that called me last night, and, and he's like, it was like, uh, was in the afternoon, it was sat, Saturday afternoon about 4 o'clock, and he called me and said, Charlie, I just realized, I, I just got a few hours left to run a marathon, read through the whole Bible, be a better husband, be a better dad, and he went through his whole list, and there's just something about New Year's resolutions. And so, this morning, here's what I want to talk to you about as we continue this series, and we're looking at the life of Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was a man that demonstrated great faith. And so if, if the Bible says that he demonstrated great faith, then, then it would do us well to look at his life and to see what that looks like, faith lived out. This morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15, and then we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, your smartphones, your droids, whatever you use, uh, you can go ahead and, and, uh, and turn there this morning. I'm going to talk to you about this issue of just that really none of us like. It's, it's the, well, it's the danger of an impatient faith. But it's really the, the frustration of waiting on God. You ever wait on God? Maybe 2011 for you was a year that you were hoping God was going to answer that prayer, restore that re relationship, take care of that issue or that, that prayer request in your life. And you come to the end of 2011 and now you're the first morning of 2012 and you still have that prayer request. You still have that issue in your life. And for whatever reason, God has chosen not to take care of that situation, not to answer. And, it, and even in waiting, it can give you frustration when you see that he answers maybe someone else's prayer. 
This last week, we always close the offices Christmas to New Year's uh, just because of the hectic schedule that we go through with services and all the other things that happen on Christmas Eve. And so part of my schedule was spending a lot of time with my family, but I also try to do some some things on my to-do list that I just kind of wanted to do. And one of them was something that I didn't look very forward to, and that was this, that I decided that, you know what, by 2012, I'm going to get my email inbox down to zero. That was a dream of mine, and uh, it wasn't something that I looked forward to. fact is, it was something that appeared to be very boring, and so I went through, because I'm horrible at categorizing emails, and I keep them in like one place, and, and, uh, but I got up one morning, and I started going through my emails of a year, and what started out to be kind of this boring, routine task ended up being a time of just, just great praise and realizing of all the things God did in our lives and our ministries over the last year. It's, it's amazing how easy it is to forget what God is doing in your life and the provisions and, and the things that he's doing. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about this issue of just, just waiting on God because none of us, right? None of us like to wait on God. After World War II, uh, the Allied forces went into a house in Germany and it had been abandoned and a Holocaust victim had been obviously in the house. And in the house, there was a room, and this individual had scratched the Star of David on a wall and then wrote three lines. And the lines read that, I believe in the sun, even when the sun does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. And I believe in God, even when he appears to be silent. There's something about those periods of life when God just appears and seems to be silent. What do you do in those periods? You give up or you continue to walk and continue to trust and just continue to obey him. You see, we we live in a society, we live in an instant society to where we can get emails on smartphones and, and we can Google stuff and we can get email, we can get information at our fingertips. We have mi- microwaves and instant music and instant messaging and instant, fu- and, and instant music and all of these things that we just don't have to wait for. But yet, when I look at Scripture, I find that there's something that happens in our lives. The fact is, waiting is, is a part of walking with God. That's why David said in the Psalms that uh, be still and just know. Just be still and know that I am God. Isaiah said those who wait on me, they'll renew their strength. Paul said, just stay faithful during affliction. James says, man, take heart. Consider it joy when you go through trials of various kinds. Because there's something that develops in you. There's this perseverance, which the word perseverance means the ability to remain under the situation to where you don't give up and you don't quit and you don't cut and run. Abraham and Sarah are in this period of waiting. If you've been with us through this series, you know that God gave Abraham a a promise. And even though they had no children, God told Abraham that you would be the father of many nations. They're about 75 years old as we pick up the story in in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, where where the scripture says that that, that Sarah still does not have any children. 
But I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 15. And just when God renewed that promise, God gave that promise again to Abraham. And here's what the, the, the word says, uh, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now watch this. It's always interesting to me, all the way through the New Testament and the Old Testament, whenever God would speak into someone's life, whether it's through his word or in the Old Testament, New Testament, whenever he gave a word like this, he always started off with an angel or whoever. He always started off with fear not. wonder why that is. wonder why God would always start off with fear not. You know, you know why I believe that is? And we, we can see it kind of flesh out here in this text. But the reason is, is because when you read his word, you have a choice. You're going to live in faith or you're going to live in fear. See, whenever God speaks into your life, whenever God gives you a promise, we have this choice that we have to make. Are we going to live our life in faith or are we going to live our life in fear and fear all the things that are around us? The scripture tells us this, that fear of man will prove to be a, a trap for you or, true to, or, or prove to be a, a snare for you. See, each one of us, we have that choice in the Christian life. It is even heightened when we wait to whether we're going to trust him and we're going to follow him out of faith or out of fear. And so he goes on and he says, Abraham, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Remember the definition of faith is what the Bible gave. Hebrews eleven six. it said, faith is this, is believing that he exists and what? And that he diligently rewards those who seek him. That's this belief, that's this understanding that his promises are good and his promises are true. And that if we seek him, if we're obedient to him, that he will reward us. And so he goes on, but Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my household is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. Isn't it interesting that when we pray to God, a lot of times we give him information that he already has? I mean, he's not up there like going, what? You don't have a child yet? I mean, a lot of our prayers, if we're not careful, all our prayers are just giving God information that he already like knows. And Abraham is no different. He says, God, hello, no children. And so a member of my household will be my heir. So all of a sudden, Abraham is, is not walking in faith. He's kind of looking at it from a human perspective and said, well, maybe it's going to come through my household. This is how it's going to happen. And behold, the word of the Lord uh, came to him. The man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. Isn't it great how loving and patient God is with us? So he takes Abraham outside and says, let me give you a visual. Let me give you a picture. Look up into the heavens. And he says, and the number of stars, if you're able to even number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offsprings be. I mean, I think it's interesting because... Many times they slept out under the stars and God knew that there would be those moments in Abraham's life when he had a lot of doubt and he may have had a lot of fear. And Abraham could look up the stars and say, I remember when God took me outside and he pointed to the stars and he said, you won't even be able to count them and your offspring will be even more than that. And then watch this, verse 6. And So Abraham believed the Lord. I mean, it's easy to believe the Lord in, when you're in his presence, right? It's easy to believe him. It's easy to make a commitment in church. It's easy to make a commitment in a worship service. But you know when it's hard? Monday through Saturday. I mean, that, I mean really, that, that's when it gets difficult. That's when it gets hard. And Abraham was no different. And it says that Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as his righteousness. Maybe, maybe you've felt like this. 
Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed about an area in your life and for whatever reason it seems that God's just been silent or maybe you even felt like he's been just unresponsive to your needs and to the request. I think, you know, I think one of the most difficult things to do is, is to wait on God when he seems unresponsive. It's also really difficult to wait on God when it's out of your control. And this is where Abraham and Sarah were. And that's why Galatians, one of the first verses I ever remembered and memorized as a child was Galatians 6, 9 that says, Let us not, not become weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I wonder how many people have given up the day before God was going to take care of that situation, answer that prayer, resolve that relationship. There's a principle in Scripture called the law of the harvest, and most of us know this, that, that whatever you sow, you shall reap. And that in relationships, if you sow criticism, you will reap criticism. If you sow anger, you will reap anger. If you sow generosity in your life, you'll reap generosity. If you sow love in your life, you will, you will reap love. Here's another interesting thing about the law of the harvest, and it's this. You always reap more than you sow. I mean, if I take a, a small kernel of corn and I plant that, I just don't get one kernel back, right? I get hundreds upon hundreds of kernels back. And a, another principle of the harvest is, is there's always a period between the, the sowing and the reaping. And that's where Abraham and Sarah find themselves. And that's where God gives them the promise. Genesis chapter 16, uh, verse 1. We're just going to walk through several verses, this paragraph together, and then I'm going to come back and I'm just going to give you four principles a little bit different this morning about how to walk in, in faith and how to walk through those times of waiting. And so here's what the Scripture says, verse six, six, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, who, who born him no children, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarah said to Abraham... Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Let's, let's stop right there. Uh, here's a great danger of, of the waiting period. And you know what? If you've been a believer for any length of time, you've gone through. It's normal. It's normative of the Christian life because God develops things in your life. But here's one great danger. When you and I go through a period of waiting, if you're not careful, you will blame God. If you, will, if you are not careful when he seems silent, when he seems unresponsive to your needs, you will blame God for not fulfilling the promises that he promised to you. You will, you will blame him, and that's what she does here. She says, Abraham, I know God gave us the promise, but it's God who has prevented me. It's God who has prevented us. It is God who is withholding good from us. And so whenever you go down that road, it will always lead to compromise if you're not careful. Because all of a sudden you now have anger and you have frustration with with God. And so she says, Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now listen, this may seem spiritual, and this may seem like a spiritual discussion, but just because God, people use God's name or the Lord's name does not mean it's of God and does not mean it's truly a spiritual conversation. And this is no different. So she says, God has prevented me from having children. And so she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her in Abraham. He was passive in the home. And so Abraham listens to her. And so for some reason, they concluded together that God is not able to do what he says he's going to do, that God is not going to 
fulfill the promise that he gave to them in their life. And, and then they just figured out a way that, you know what? Listen, one of the dangers of waiting is this issue of, of impatience. That's why Solomon said that, that patience is far better than, than pride. See, a lot of times in, in this waiting period, what God is trying to do, what God was trying to do in Abraham and Sarah's life, what God has done in my life for a, a numerous of times is this, is he is trying to move your trust from self to, to him. Be careful in waiting that you would do something and make a decision out of anger or impatience or frustration that you would have to deal with the consequences the rest of your life. This is true with Abraham and Sarah. And so, and so verse 3, the scripture says, as we just continue, so after Abraham had lived uh, 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, as Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband. Now watch this. As, as a wife. Sex outside of marriage is always wrong, no matter what you call it. And they tried to make it sound spiritual, and they tried to make it sound good, and they said, you know what? You can just take Hagar, and you can, we, can, we can make this thing happen. And we'll just, we'll, we'll call her. We'll call her, your wife. See, trusting is always hard. I mean, it's easy sometimes to sing songs like, strength will rise when we... Wait upon the Lord, but living that out can be difficult. Verse 4, and so, and so he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that, that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her, mat, on her mistress. See, Sarah, it was her idea, and now Sarah has anger and frustration because she thought this decision, she thought this, this plan that they had worked out would bring their peace and, 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 and fulfillment and happiness, and it, it brought the opposite. Fact is, you could, you could read through Abraham and Sarah's life, and, and I've done that this last week. You can read through their life, and you, you know what you find? That there was peace in the home prior to this. They had a strong marriage. They were a team, and they had this vision together. And now all of a sudden out of impatience and all of a sudden deciding that we, we can take care of this. Now in the home you see contempt, you see animosity, you see anger, you see frust, frustration. And Hagar looks at Sarah differently and Sarah looks at Hagar differently. Verse 5, and so Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. It was her idea. A lot of times people do this, right? I mean, all of a sudden they, they made this decision on their own. You never see in the scripture where they prayed where they sought God, where they quoted his word, they talked about anything, Christian principles, anything like that. Now when the consequences come, they bring God back into the equation. And that's what she's doing. She's like, okay, so let, let God decide. Let God judge between you and I. And, uh, and so he says, he says, she says, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord, ju- Lord judge between, between you and me. Verse 6, we'll just, let's just keep reading. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is, is in your power. Do to her as, as you please. See, Abraham's still passive in the relationship. 
Abraham was passive when Sarah brought the plan to him, and Abraham is still passive. Now there's problems. There's, there's problems in the home, contempt, animosity, all kinds of issues. And you know what Abraham does? Not my problem. Sarah, you work it out. You, that, Hagar, she's your, she's your servant. You have complete authority over her. You have complete power over her. You know what? I, I'm busy. I got stuff that I'm trying to do. You just deal with it. You handle it. I don't care. Listen, every strong marriage needs a husband and a wife that are strong. And they need someone in the home and they need someone in the marriage that is strong that when the other partner becomes weak, they're able to be strong and say, no, we're not doing that. Sarah needed Abraham to be strong to tell her, no, that, that you're looking at this from a human perspective. Listen, God's plan never includes compromise. God's plan never includes sin, no matter what you call it. And Abraham stood up. He wasn't passive. In, uh, he w- and Abraham didn't stand up. He was passive in the home. And he needed to stand up and say, no, we're not doing it. But the same way that Sarah needed to do that years earlier. Remember when Abraham told Sarah, Sarah, why don't you just lie? Why don't you just lie for me and tell him you're, you're my sister? The same way Sarah, when Abraham was weak, she should have been the one that stood up and says, no. God's plan never includes sin. God's plan never includes compromise. Abraham, don't you understand the years of consequence that we will deal with that decision? But Abraham was passive, and so he goes on. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her, speaking of Hagar, and she, she fled from her. Then watch this. This is such a, a powerful verse. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord found her. Found who? Found Hagar. Listen, this is the first example of an unwed mother in Scripture. Uh, uh, un unwed pregnancy in scripture and so watch this he says the angel of the lord found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness the spring on the way to sure maybe maybe this year maybe you feel like you're a victim you see hagar was the victim of the story here hagar hagar was mistreated hagar was abused hagar was used And you know what the scripture tells me? That God sought her. God is the one that found her. And maybe you've gone through 2011 and you feel like, I'm a victim. These consequences that I'm reaping, that wasn't from my action, that wasn't from my decisions, that wasn't from my choices. And the scripture says that God seeks you and God found Hagar in the wilderness because sometimes when we feel like a victim and we've been hurt and it will lead you into a wilderness experience and so verse 8 and so he said uh, Hagar went went of Sarah and uh, where have you come from and where are you going and Hagar says I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarah and the angel of the Lord said to her Return to your mistress and submit to her. Now listen, that phrase has bothered me all week. Why would God tell her? Why would God tell Hagar? You return to Sarah. You return to your mistress and, and you submit to her. You know what I believe, personal opinion, but this is what I believe the scripture teaches. God was forcing Abraham and Sarah to deal with their consequences. To deal with the consequences of their actions. See, a lot of us, when, when we begin to reap what we have sown, we, and the consequences are not pleasurable, and the consequences are not good, and the consequences are not what we desired, that we just want to get away from it. We just want to ignore it, and we just want to just get as far away from it as we can. But I'm telling you, 
God will always force you to face your consequences of the decisions that you have made. And so he sent Hagar back home and says, you go back home to Abraham and to Sarah. And let's just read on. And and so verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be outnumbered for your multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. If you have felt like a victim this last year, if you have been hurt, if you have been betrayed, if you have been used, God has heard every one of your prayers. God has heard your hurt. God has heard your, pray, your, your pain. God has heard the affliction, just like he did with Hagar. And then speaking of Ishmael, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. And so Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You're a God of seeing. You found me. You saw my pain. You saw my affliction. You saw what happened to me. And truly I've seen him who looks after me. God is good. And God is loving. And God could be trusted. And even in the midst of Hagar's pain and being a victim, she says, God is the one who has seen my affliction. And when no one else looked after me, he did. And he found me. And he ministered to me. And he took care of me. There's something about this, this issue of, of waiting, and this issue of waiting is it's like this sign of maturity. I mean, it's, all, it's always different between children and parents, right, about this issue of waiting. You, your child asks you how long until dinner, and you tell them an hour, and they think it's an eternity. Or you tell them you've got to wait till Christmas, and they think it's forever. Or if you ever take a road trip with them, and they say, how much further? And, you know, you tell them a few hours, and it's like, oh, well, we won't live. And it's just like this eternity. And so there's a story about this man that took his four-year-old son fishing for the first time. It was his first time he was ever going to take his, his young boy fishing, and he was excited about that. Put the four-year-old in the car, and the lake was like 250 miles away. And so they'd, they'd been on the car, car only about 50 miles, and the little boy said, Dad, how much farther? And the dad says, you know, it's 250 miles away. We've only gone 50 miles. We got, we got a long ways. About another 50 miles, the young man said, Dad, how, are we there yet? How much farther? And the dad says, you know, we're not even halfway. You're just going to have to be patient. You're just going to have to wait. And he said, Dad, I don't think I can. He goes, well, you're just going to have to. And so they got a little bit farther. And the little boy said, Dad, are we there yet? And the dad got kind of angry and frustrated. He says, you know what? Don't ask me again. I don't want to hear it again. We'll, we'll get there when, you, when we get there. It's real quiet in the back seat, and all of a sudden the little boy says, Well, Dad, can I ask you this? He said, Sure. He said, Will I still be four when we get there? <laughs> I mean, there's something about this issue of just, just waiting that is just difficult, especially when it seems that, that God is 
unresponsive to our needs. And if you're not careful, you can start trying to blame God or get frustrated with God. This morning, I just want to give you four principles about how to wait, how to wait patiently, and how to walk through this period of waiting. Because the Bible tells us it's normal, it's normative in the Christian life to have these periods. In fact, as Chuck Swindoll says this, that when, when you go through those times in life, and it seems like God is doing nothing, that's when he's doing the greatest work in your life. So this, this principles is to the acrostic of, of weight. For the W, it stands for this. It's just how I remember it. It stands for this, that when you're waiting on God, you've got to learn to walk and pray. You've got to learn just to walk and pray. You've got to learn to continue. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not give up. Because you will. It's a promise. You will reap a harvest. What? If you do not give up. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking to some followers and he tells them this. He says, you've got to learn to what? You've got to learn to pray continually and do not lose heart. He put it in that order for a reason. And the reason is this, because if you quit praying, you'll lose heart. If you quit connecting to him, you quit worshiping him, you quit praying to him, that you and I will lose heart. It's promised. It's guaranteed. And so what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 was this, is, Man, learn to pray continually and do not lose heart. When you're going through those times and you're waiting on God to answer that prayer request, whether it's one in your home, whether it's relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's finances, whether it's health, that you have got to learn and you have got to learn that discipline to where you continue to life journal, you continue to read scripture, you continue to pray, you continue that, that discipline. If not, the scripture teaches that you'll lose heart. So you, you, you walk and, and pray. And then the second thing is this, is, well, you and I have to learn to accept God's timing. Do we just learn to accept God's timing? You know what? There's things in my life right now that I'm having to accept his timing. And I'm having to, to, to remind myself and to remember that God is sovereign. And God is good. And God is, God's in control. And and the Bible tells us that he is not slow in keeping his promises, as, as some understand slowness. And we've got to come to that place to where we walk and pray and we accept God's timing and we understand that, you know what? God may be doing something in, in my life and orchestrating some things in a way that I can't even believe what awaits me. So we walk and pray and we accept God's timing and the, the next thing is this and we learn to just identify God's leading. To we come to the place to we just kind of learn to identify that you know what? We are submitted to him and he is the one that leads. Be able to see those signs. I mean it happened to me when I walked through 2011 through, through email and started reading email after email maybe of some answers of prayers in your life, some things that God did in your life, some things that, that, that God did in my life and it was just a reminder to me of what and it helped me to understand and it helped me to keep track of and just understand that you know what? To identify God's leading for Abraham and Sarah they should have remembered Genesis chapter 15. That when God took them out and took Abraham out into the night and pointed to the stars and says, you see all those stars? Number them if you can. Your, your descendants are going to be greater than the, than the stars in the heavens. And to remember that and to reaffirm that, that's, that's why journaling and, and keeping track of some of that is so important that you've got to not only to accept his timing, but to identify that, man, identify that, that God is leading you. And the last thing is this, the T is this, is is to learn to trust him. 
And just to learn to try, Isaiah 40, 31, 30 and 31 says this, Even youth uh, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. There's a difference between those who stumble and those who trust him. Jesus told a, a parable about two men that, that built this house, and uh, they constructed both houses, both homes the, the same way. And they, they built the homes, and they completed the homes, and then this, this storm came, and the winds blew, and the rain fell. And, and so it was the same storm that fell on both houses, and it was the same construction of each house. But yet one fell and one stood. And the reason that the one fell was because of the foundation that it was built on. It was built on shifting sand. The one that stood was built on this foundation. There's a difference between those who stumble and those who continue to walk and pray, accept his timing, identify his leading, and to trust him. And it's the the foundation that your life is built on. If you're not careful in, in waiting, you can wonder about some passages that says that all things work together for good for those who love him. And you can begin to blame him. But trust is to be able to trust him and know that he is good and know that he is God. And know that he sees what you go through. And to just trust him. Maybe 2012 for you just needs to be, I'm going to learn to trust him deeper in my life. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not shown. And I believe in God even when he is silent. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? How does God want you to respond to this message? Not how do, how do I want you to respond? Not how does a husband or a wife or children or parents or, or whoever? This is between you and God. But how does God want you to respond? Some of you this morning, your first step may be just to accept him and ask him to come into your life and forgive your sins. For others of you, it may be totally different than that. You've done that. You may be in a period of just waiting, and you're just waiting. You, you can't make it happen. You can't control it. You can't force it to happen. Maybe you've already been there, done that, and you're dealing with some of the consequences. Maybe for you this morning, the decision would be, man, I'm going to learn this year. I'm going to learn to walk and pray. I'm going to learn to accept his timing. I'm going to learn to identify his leading. And you know what? I'm, I'm just going to trust him. Maybe some of you this morning you know you just, you just need prayer. And we would love to have the opportunity. We would, in fact, as we consider it an honor, we would love to have the honor to pray for you. So this morning, if, if you desire prayer, if you know you need prayer, 
we want to pray for you this morning. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand together, if you need prayer, we're just going to ask you, don't wait. Just step out. Come down these aisles. You don't have to walk along. Our prayer partners will be coming with you. They'll greet you down here. All you need to do is just tell them your name and how they could pray for you. And I trust my life with this group of individuals. They live for this, and they'd love to minister to you. Please, 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 if you need prayer this morning, do not leave here without receiving prayer. So after I pray, we stand. Just step out, make your way down here, and we'll greet you down here. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you that you are good and that you can be trusted. And may this morning... May we renew our commitment in you. And Father, we just ask that those that need prayer, that there'd be no one that would leave this room without receiving prayer if they need prayer. May there be no barriers in this room. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.